Destiny Church 217 podcast. Today we're hearing from Pastor Steve Nordyke, Senior Associate Pastor at River of Life Church in Onalaska, Wisconsin. Pastor Steve serves on the Apostolic Board of Destiny Church and is a close friend of our church family. In this message, he completes our Christmas series, The Prince of Peace. Following the message, take a look at the episode description where you can find scripture references as well as helpful links to learn more about the ministry of Destiny Church. Finishing up our series on Jesus being the Prince of Peace out of the um, text in Isaiah. And this is Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve is, yeah, yeah, Pastor Steve is my BFF. And we've known each other for uh, uh, 33 years. I, I did the math this morning. I met him 33 years ago in a pastor's meeting where he was at one end of the table and I was the other and some pastor was going on about something that I didn't think was whatever, and I looked at Pastor Steve at the other end of the table, and, and we'd never met, and we looked at each other, and we both rolled our eyes at the same time about what this guy was saying, and I thought, there's a guy I want to get to know, and that was 33 years ago. He's part of the apostolic team here at the church. He's on the board of directors at the at, uh the Dream Center next door. He's involved in every area of my life. He's a wonderful counselor, not the wonderful counselor, but a wonderful counselor to me. And you should be grateful for that because he tempers a lot of, of my edge at times. Would you please stand to your feet and welcome this man of God, Pastor Steve Nordyke. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was so kind. So good to be here. I'm so blessed to have a, a friend who um, will be willing to inflict me upon you from time to time and give me reason to travel and do things. Greetings from uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, Jacob and Kristen greet you. And uh, we, uh, for those of you who are newer, to the church newer, I mean, you started attending here recently or within the last seven years. Um, we were here about seven years ago, six, seven years ago with our uh, daughter and son-in-law, Jacob and Kristen, and they took a church up in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin and moved up there and, and took my grandsons with them, which I didn't appreciate very much. And um, then at the same time, my other daughter, moved with her husband uh, from overseas to Green Bay. And so then I heard the Lord calling me to Wisconsin. And so um, we left uh, Springfield, but uh, our hearts have not been far from here. And we always love coming back and um, visiting with you, getting opportunity to share what God is doing. And God is blessing us up there in La Crosse. And um, we're having a good time there uh, Deb is is doing well. My grandkids now, uh, they were taken from here to there, and now they've all grown up. And um, uh, Caleb, Jacob, and Kristen's oldest is a youth pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, with his wife Ashley, and um, getting um, getting ready in the next few years or so to make me a great grandfather, which doesn't feel so great to me because. As the grandkids move away, that, that, that circle gets wider and bigger, and, but we see them, and, and we love them. They're doing a great job in Birmingham at a nice church there. <clears throat> and then my next 
oldest is Katie's daughter, Lydia. She's home for uh, summer, summer break. You say summer, it's winter. Yeah, but she goes to school in Australia, and she's home for summer break after her second year at, at university there studying marine biology, so I'll get to see her in another week or so, so that's fun. Sam, uh, Chris and Jake's youngest, is a drummer at um, Bethel in his second year and is loving it and killing it. And he comes home and he's just grown so much after the first year. He, he, we, we go around with him and he prophesies over everybody. You know, he's got Bethel in his blood now. He, as he, he's at Walmart, you know, doing healing in the aisles. And so that kind of stirs us, you know, and, and gets us uh, remind, being reminded of, of um, when we were younger and not so slow. But anyway, he's doing it. He's killing it in California and uh, loving it there. And then my youngest, Natalie, graduated um, this year from high school and is waiting to start school in Sweden next year. So um, the ding-dongs are moving far away as they can, and um, that's making it very lonely for me and Deb in, in lacrosse. But we're loving it there. and. and yeah, that'd be all right. Yeah, that'd be cool. My wife Deb, she really likes it here. Liked it here, and uh, that would be good with her. And um, I'm thinking of somewhere farther south, perhaps, maybe, maybe on a on a coast somewhere. But Deb greets you. She she uh, so many of you uh, she grew so close to when she was here, and and we're doing really well. And. Um, we're getting along fine. We're, we're like a, a box of fine wine. We're aging really well. And um, Year by year. I think I'm pretty funny. Now, when I... This is one of the things, as Deb and I get older, I, I think I'm pretty funny. This is why I love Eric so much, because he thinks I'm funny, too, because I make him laugh a lot. He makes me laugh a lot. And, but that, according to my wife, it gives me kind of a false sense of confidence in that area, <laughs> because, um, because she doesn't think I'm so funny. And um, well, I, let me, I, I wrote down a couple jokes, so let me try one on you, okay? Um, I was, I was at a, a bank last week, and I was standing in line and behind a lady, and um, the guy on the other side of the counter who was waiting on her, she said, um, in the process of what she was doing, she said to this guy, I'd like to check my balance. And so he was on the other side of there, and so I said, well, here, let me help you, and I pushed her. <laughs> and she fell down, and I said, her balance ain't so good. And so... I helped her up, and she went on with her business. But anyway, so I asked Deb when her birthday was, and she said March 1st. And so I walked around the room once, and I asked her again. See, she's not right. This week, she accused me of, she was upset. She accused me of stealing her thesaurus. And I was shocked and appalled and aghast and dismayed. 
that she would accuse me of such a thing. Sorry, Deb, you weren't, you're not right. They, they love me. I'm going on the road. Nate Berganzi, look out. Here I come. Well, anyway. Deb greets you and, and wanted me to say hello to all of you and hug as many of, as, of you as I could. And um, I'm blessed to be here and be a part of, of um, your worship service. Had a great time yesterday with the men. Um, ate these banging big burritos, breakfast burritos, and they were good. And um, we exchanged tools, and I made out like a bandit at that thing. I got a really good tool, and the men had a good time. And, and um, uh, Ryan was very entertaining. Um, he, he did a great job. He could go on the, uh, the uh, selling network and sell stuff on there as good as he did yesterday. But we had a great time, and you're... Uh, fellowship hall that's finished. What a nice addition to the uh, facilities here and the activities that you're going to have. And I just, I just am blessed as I watch uh, destiny unfold into this neighborhood and into this region with the, with all of the ministries and all of the outreach and all of the vision that you are helping your pastor to accomplish in this region. It's really awesome and wonderful. So your series text. Um, for this series that I'm going to wrap up is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. And, um, and this is what it reads. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Um, that Oh, yeah, look, New Living Translation is right up there. But I can't see that far, so I'll read off my paper. And it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your prophetic promise made so many years ago, but, but, but which... Uh, we caught a glimpse of with the life of Jesus and is unfolding before us as we watch for his uh, final return. And Lord, we look forward to that. And in the meantime, Father, we lean upon you and not on our own understanding. Lord, you identified yourself as the Prince of Peace. And so we embrace that and we hold that in these times that uh, have a little peace to offer us. We look to you for our peace. We trust and rely on you and thank you. Help us this day to gain one more revelation of you and move forward in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, this is the third message of three. Pastor Hansen preached two weeks ago on the promise of peace. And, and then last week, the presence of peace. And he assigned me the title, Power of Peace, which um, I've meditated on for a few weeks. And and have some things that I want to share with you in this. And um, in the theme scripture reference, power is mentioned in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It's, it's, um, it's um, obvious and evident there um, with his rule, be, rule being tied to his peace. And that's kind of a contrasting thing. Power and peace are contrasting. But they do make sense together, and, and, and that's what I'm going to unfold to you today and unwrap. 
So first of all, what is power? When we think about power, what do we think about? We think about strength, uh, power lifting, weight lifting, strength. We think about authority, someone who has power over someone else. Um, we think about authority. So there's two different contexts of, of, of what power is about. And um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention just three scripture passages that, that mention power and, and look at those. First of all, it's Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're familiar with that, where it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Power there is, is um, dunamis, and, and the um, breakdown of that means dynamic strength, power, and ability. Another idea of power we can see in 1 Corinthians 4.20, where it says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. And there again, the Greek word there is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, and it's, it's an implication. There's, there's some subtle applications of that word that can be used in different settings. But, but here, um, here again, it's talking about um, um, a, an element, an agency of, of living that puts him on display and shows him before, before the world. And the third one is Matthew 28, 18. says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now there, that authority in heaven and on earth is power. I've been given that authority and that authority is translated uh, to power. So the power of authority is influence and, and um, privilege. And the connection between power and peace is strong. Now before I move on, I want to I wanna refer back to Isaiah uh, chapter 9 and that. And I, I just, I had this thought this morning and I hope it doesn't derail me from what I have written down, because then it'll be confusing to get back on track. But I, I feel like it's important to share this idea and this thought. That when Isaiah gave that pro prophetic word, prophesying about Jesus, in Isaiah chapter 9, um, um, everlasting father, prince of peace, those titles or those identifiers of, of who God is, and, and then a revelation of Jesus Christ there, he was saying something that both um, that 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 was a little bit of a different variation of what people's views were of the gods of the invisible realm. And when I talk about the gods of the invisible realm, I'm talking about the one true God, but also the false gods, the Molechs and the Balaams and the. Uh, uh, not Balaam, um, whatever, the, the false gods that they worshipped and they sacrificed children to and they cut themselves and they went under the power of these wicked evil forces and entities throughout the world and tried to bring to bear a warfare against the one true God. There was a, a, there, there's an Old Testament development of, of godness that was established and that was that um, that that higher authority or that God was in, in many forms, including the one true God, an authority and that he required obedience 
and that there were rules and you followed the rules and if you didn't follow the rules, you were in trouble. Now, there was a little variation on the one true God. He said, if you, if you follow me, these are the uh, blessings that will, in, in, in the Old Testament, these are the blessings that will follow your life. And if you don't follow me, you will basically be out from under my care and under my loving and you will be subject to the gods of this world and to this world and your life will be difficult. So, but in that, but there wasn't really communicated to people that God is a God of love. That really wasn't the predominant Old Testament picture of God. It was obey and follow these rules and, and um, live within this realm and do that. And, and in, outside of the one true God, it was even worse. It was even worse. Not only was there, um, not only was there not an idea or a picture of a loving God or a God who loved you, it was you are subservient to your false God, and you you do what we tell you to do, and um, and and also the things we're telling you to do also have oppressive dynamics to it where you, in the name of me, false gods, you will oppress others. So it's the contrast, um, and the contrast, uh, uh, there's two things. One is that the overall idea was not a God of love or a God of relationship, although there were elements of relationship in the one true God, but it was pretty, it, it, let me explain it like this. It's kind of like when you grow up as a kid, you're little and so you basically you run by rules. So you don't run out into traffic, so you don't burn your hand on the stove. And so, so it feels like a lot of rules. And in Hebrews, he talks about when you're small, you know, you're put under these authorities, etc. So in, even among, uh, among God followers, it was that way. So there wasn't a predominant idea and a predominant picture of love. There wasn't a predominant picture of relationship and caring and that kind of thing, unless you really pressed in. Moses had a relationship with God, obviously, David, etc. But you get what I'm talking about. And, and what's revealed here in Isaiah is really a transcendent, a, a transitional idea that this is the everlasting father. And even then, the father figure was more of an authoritative thing, authoritarian thing. But he's starting to introduce prophetically that there's going to be a shift. There's going to be a shift from I'm in charge, I'm your God, you do what I say or I'm going to shoot a lightning bolt at you to I want you to come in, I want you to be, uh, I want you to be my child, my son and my daughter. So there's an introduction here and that, that final one, Prince of Peace, was kind of, wow, a Prince of Peace. That's really amazing. Oh, you mean you're going to keep the peace kind of thing. But anyway, Isaiah is, is presenting, a, um, presenting kind of a new paradigm or a new idea that would be realized and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I'll get to, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that now. Jesus Christ presenting relational God, presenting God with us. That's what he introduced in Isaiah, God with us. And Jesus with us introduced a relational paradigm that was a huge shift. Now, the, the false gods continue today in that same mentality, in that same ruling. One predominant false religion of today predominantly has all of their followers under his thumb. 
And if you step out of line, you, he has this false god, a modern one of today that you're all familiar with. He has his followers cut your head off. He has his followers um, torture you. He has his followers doing hideous acts to you. And, and as being a follower of him, there is no element within that religion, in that false religion, that false religion of worshiping a false god, a god of hell, a god of the devil, there is no element of relationship in it. It's all an element of disobedience. And when I am obedient to this false god, this, this, this god of today that, that you're familiar with, my reward is that I get to I get to practice all of my pent-up lust when I get to that, that place on the other side. False God, false religion, false belief, and it's a religion of lies, a religion where, where they tell you we're a, a religion of peace. That, is all, that was all from this morning as I was thinking, and so if you don't like that, just scrape that off the table, and then I'll continue on with my message that I prepared. But this is a contrast of what God is unfolding and what God is revealing to us as, as he wants to draw us in. He wants to have us as sons and daughters and he wants a relationship with us. Um, I, I think sometimes, I, well, let me, let me phrase it this way. I think sometimes as a man, um, it feels like to me it goes a little bit too far. I'm, uh, you know, I am not ready. I, I was not ready when I heard it. And I'm still a little uncomfortable with um, um, letting me know the kisses of your mouth. That still creeps me out a little bit, okay? But I can see why ladies love that kind of worship. And, and you know, the, he's Fabio, and you want to snuggle up to him, and it's all good, and that's awesome. I think men, I think manly men, ignorant men like myself, should write more worship songs. Something like Jesus sit in the passenger side with me and let's take a road trip together and we won't look at each other. We won't look at it into our eyes, but we'll, and we won't talk very much. And, and, and Jesus, we won't hold hands, but if you want to say something to me, I'm listening. A worship song like that. Would you write one of those? That'd be awesome. And then, then that'd be good for me and, and um, worship would cross all I'm probably just weird that way. But anyway, so um, what I'm saying by that is that we've come so, so far into relationship, maybe too far, with relationship that we've forgotten that he is almighty God. I'm not saying we go back to authoritarian, but, um, but the picture of that father, the father who loves us and will scoop us up in his arms. I'm comfortable with that one. Scoop us up in his arms and love us and we can come into his presence. So anyway, med morning meditations are, are out of the way now. Thank you for, for um, putting up with me there. So anyway, I'm, I'm tasked with connecting power and peace. And, and when I think about peace in the natural sense, in, the, in just the natural man, me being natural, I'm, and, and I think you'll agree with me, I'm at most peace in the natural when I'm in control. Now, I'm not saying you're at most peace when I'm in control. You're at most peace when you're in control. Would you agree with that? When I'm in control of my environment, when I'm in control of what's going on around me, 
I'm at most peace. Let me say it a different way. I am least afraid. I am least nervous. I am least anxious. When it's, when it's under control, you're, 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 you know, you're at the most peace. You have the most peace, the least anxiety. And so in the natural, there's a connection between my control over life and the peace I walk in. But, but when we think about the Prince of Peace, there's a greater peace, there's a greater resilience against anxiety when we walk in the peace that happens when Jesus is in control. And, and the, the fact of that thing is how sometimes we wrestle with Jesus over control. And if we will yield, if the, the key to peace in our lives as believers is to learn and to go through those trials and learn to surrender step by step and little by little to the total control of Jesus Christ, to the total control of the Prince of Peace. And then he will lord his lordship over us and in us and through us with his peace. So I'm going to talk about the power of the Prince of Peace here a little bit. Uh, first of all, we see it with us in Isaiah 9.6. The, the, the verse there calls him the prince of peace. It puts him in a rulership position of peace. He's the, the lord of peace, the prince of peace, the ruler of peace. And um, that's established in that, in that verse, and it's established in our minds and in our, our hearts as the direction to go for peace. Well, then Jesus, when he walked among us, he demonstrated in a physical way, like was his purpose to demonstrate all of the stuff that God was trying to teach the people of the world. Uh, he demonstrated in a physical way that he had power to bring peace. We see in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, it says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So we saw that he exercised peace and authority over natural things. That's when he was in the boat and sleeping and they woke him up and, and he exerted that authority and exercised that authority, that authority to bring peace in that natural situation. Well, then in another time and place, Jesus told his disciples that as his ambassadors, that they carried the anointing of peace, the anointing of his kingdom with them wherever they went. And same to you. You carry the anointing. Have you had anybody ever say to you, oh, you just, you're just so peaceful when you come around. You just bring peace. You bring peace to a room when you come in, and, and it's just so awesome, and, and, and the anointing of God brings peace. Some of you, you come into a room and you bring other stuff. I'm, I don't mean critters, but you bring, you bring challenge or you bring ideas or you bring creativity. And, but, but there's a lot of things that come from the kingdom. You bring conviction. There's a lot of things that come from the kingdom that you carry with you. But one of those things is peace. In Matthew 10, 12 through 13, Jesus was talking to the disciples about when they would go and travel and bring the message of him to people and to, um, to introduce Jesus to them. And he says, and when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace, let your peace return to you. Now that's really curious and that's really interesting that I can carry my peace into a place 
and I can speak or think with my mind, this place is, is, has, is functioning under the anointing of God, and so I bless you with peace, I, and, and peace be with you, and, and those kind of ideas and those kind of concepts, only in a spiritually real and tangible way. In a spiritually real and tangible way, you bring peace, and peace follows you. And if that is a place that's not worthy, in other words, they're not, they're not receptive to the peace of God, or they're, not, or they're functioning anti-Christ, or they're functioning anti-God and anti-peace, then you can say, when I leave here, I'm taking my peace with me. And in that sense, you bring the presence and power of God to the places you go and the things you do. The power of peace is in and for you both. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. This is such a powerful verse and has been in my life. Uh, I want you to mark it down. I want it to be a powerful verse in your life too. It says, be anxious for nothing. Not be, be anxious in a few things. Go ahead and be anxious in the important things. It says, don't be anxious about anything. This is back to what I said about that battle for peace in your life for you to incrementally yield to God to walk in his peace, to walk under his authority, to walk in his control in all the areas of your life, in your work, as you raise your kids, in the relationships that you have around you, to, be, to come under him and be subservient to his word. In other words, forgive when it's hard to forgive, love when it's hard to love, give when it's hard to give, all of the things that are challenging day by day in our lives where we practice, where we lean into discipleship, where the sweat of our devotion to him is exerted. Um, not in the sweat of gaining control, not in the sweat of controlling people, not in the sweat of, of gaining uh, authority that we say this is the authority of God, but really if we just spend a quiet moment off the phone and away from the TV set for a minute, we would identify as us trying to satisfy and bring peace to our lives in a, in a carnal, uh, emotional, uh, physical, mental way. And we yield and, and we release. This is why... David, who was such a flawed individual in the Old Testament, who messed up so much, who shed a lot of blood, who committed adultery, and has so many indictments against him, is spoken of as the apple or a man after God's own heart. The element of the man after God's own heart is that when he did those things, he ran to God. He said, God, he humbled himself. He said, God, I messed up. God, I'm a dummy. God, forgive me, and relied and threw himself at God's feet and at his mercy. He suffered consequences for his mistakes and his, his, his difficulties in life, but he, he continued to throw himself. He continued to be a worshiper and love God, and that made him a man after God's own heart because the man or woman after God's own heart is not the man or a woman who doesn't make mistakes, not the man or a woman who doesn't stumble. In many things we stumble, it says in God's word, but it's the man or woman of God is the man or woman of God after God's own heart 
who when they stumble and when they're stupid and when they're foolish, they run to the people they hurt and the people that they harm and they say, I'm sorry. And then they run to the God that they serve and say, God, I'm a dodo bird. Please help me. Please heal me. Please forgive me and walk after God. There's the paradigm for you. There's the paradigm for you. Perfectionists, put your perfectionism away. Uh, 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 authoritarians, put your, put your peace that you get from being in charge away and seek after God and pursue God. That will make you a man or a woman after God's own heart. Wow, we should have several altar calls in this service. Praise the Lord. So anyway, where was I? That wasn't in here either. Praise the Lord. Okay, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in some things, but in a couple of things, but in the important things, but not the unimportant things, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look at verse 7. And the what? Peace of God. The what? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Does that look like a verse you should memorize? I think so too. So why did I have to read it? I should have had it memorized. Anyway, it shows us the path to power with God is through prayer and thanksgiving. Let your prayers be made known to him Bringing them to him, your supplications, your requests, your, your heart's pleadings. Let them be known to God. And so, so again, that wrestling of coming under his authority and under his power and not your own power, you come to him. And the with thanksgiving, that's the best. That's the best. I preached last week at our church. I get to preach there once in a while. I got to preach on the power of gratitude the power of gratitude in your life. You know, if you start being thankful instead of being unthankful, you'll begin to, you'll begin to see things that were there that you didn't know were there, and you'll begin to see things happen that weren't happening before. Because walking in gratitude is walking in the power of the Spirit. It's walking in the power of the Spirit. Because you look beyond that slight, that fault, that thing that happened that you didn't like, you look beyond it to God that Jesus did in Hebrews. He said, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, you know, right before Jesus was the cross. Right in front of Jesus was the spitting and the torturing. Right in front of Jesus were those who abused him and mocked him and, and didn't embrace his lordship. But he lifted his eyes above that and he, he looked to God for the joy that was set before him to reclaim his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And by doing that, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and he's now set at that right hand place. And as you practice gratitude in your life, you lift your eyes above that petty thing, above that difficult thing, above the very real thing that's hard, and you look at God's purposes in your life. And then that finds its way into weaving goodness in you, even though that was badness intended by the devil or badness intended by the world or badness intended just because you're alive and you breathe the everyday badness but you lift your eyes and you being uh, you having gratitude toward God helps you lift your eyes above the battle above the difficulty above the business so then there's a promised answer 
there's a promised answer. It says, um, the, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will come in. The peace of God that surpasses understanding will, will come. I find it interesting that when I pray, oftentimes looking for an answer to a thing or a strategy or a solution, that God doesn't give me the thing, the strategy, or the solution, but instead he gives me peace. I'm praying about it and praying about it, and all of a sudden, he does a shift in me, and there's, there's I guess I'd, defy, uh, I'd define it if I were going to define it in words as, I've got this. And all of a sudden, that's better than the answer. That's better than the solution. That's better than it being solved. It says to me, um, you came to me, and now I'm involved in your life. I've got this. Um, it, it, I'm still a little, yeah, because he's, I always feel like he's not going to do it how I want him to. But then I get to release the control again a little bit more and, and find more strength in him. So, but he says the promised answer is powerful, and it's supernatural peace. And then the next part of the verse says that the peace will guard my heart and mind through Jesus. Guard my heart and mind. That's the part that really the Holy Spirit really illuminated to me. Have you heard, have you heard of the saying, maybe in a movie or maybe in, in an interview or something, we're here to keep the peace. We're here to keep the peace. Somebody powerful and strong comes into the scene on the scene. and You've heard of military peacekeepers, right? Well, the peace of God, it says, stands guard over my peace to keep and protect me. The peace of God stands guard over me to protect and keep me. Now, if the Holy Spirit in power is standing guard over my peace, what, that's an awesome thing. And I should be like walking, walking like a foot above the ground wherever I go. But in my, in my journey, I find ways to sneak around the guard. He's like standing guard at the gate, and I'm like a, a I'm like a army private who wants to sneak off base and go to town and get drunk with the boys and be an idiot. And he's standing guard, and I find ways to get around him. I find ways to to not stay under his guardianship and stay under his guard. And oftentimes we get careless or we're negligent of our position or responsibility, or sometimes we're downright disobedient and rebellious to the guard of peace that God has around our life. So his power, his power is, is I mean, he could squish me like a bug or whatever, but he doesn't do that. And, and because he's more interested in me um, getting, learning and growing into him and growing to reflect him. But, but I, I sneak around or I do something like that. And when we function in this kind of attitude or behavior, it doesn't bring the judgment of God with loss of salvation. Oh, you snuck into town, so fire up the gallows, let's hang Steve. You know, it isn't like that. It isn't like that. Instead, we function in this, we, what happens is, um, oftentimes, most times, is the first result of my uh, carelessness or my neglect or my downright disobedience is the loss of peace. Let that sink in a minute. If that makes sense to you, say amen. We lose our peace. 
We lose our peace. We're not, we're not, we, we, you can't, you don't put your finger on it. You don't put your thumb on it, but there's a loss of peace there. And when there's a loss of peace, it's a loss of its power to defend me against the weapons of harassment and condemnation from the enemy. And it's a journey. If you rebel, if you come out from under the Holy Spirit's guardianship, it's a journey down, 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 down. It's a, the old term would be like backsliding or a new term would be walk away from the Lord. I mean, you don't, you're not like this one day and the next day you're, you're doing hideous, horrible things and serving the devil. It's like walk away until you forget what that peace felt like and you revert to your old carnal fleshly, fleshly way. But the lack of peace, I, I, I just want to nail down in your consciousness that if you're functioning with a lack of peace right now in the area of your family or your business or this or that or, or your behavior toward the Lord or your activity toward the Lord, things you look at with your eyes, words that you say that, that, that afterwards you're, you're not functioning or walking or living in the peace of God, that's God's early warning system for you. Lord, I just don't, I don't feel at peace. At night, you're getting ready to go to bed. I just don't feel at peace. And you take some time and you just say, Holy Spirit, just speak to me. It's an early warning system. That peace is, is it's not a punishment. It, it's like this. I, when I left home, La Crosse, Wisconsin, north of here, about seven hours, and it's, it's really nice weather there. It's about 40 degrees, and it hasn't buried us under snow yet, so it's really nice. But I plow the church parking lot with my truck. And um, when I'm there, I'm doing it less and less. But, um, but my truck, I really like my truck. But um, lately, it's an 06, uh, uh, 06 truck. And lately, I've been having lights come on on my dash. I hate that. Don't you hate that? You know, the, the low tire one I can ignore, you know. And, but it's, it's, that's still, a, that's, still a, a, that's why we put black tape over that little light. Because, because it bugs us, you know. It bothers us. Even though we know, well, that, that pressure sensor, I didn't have them put it in 80 bucks for a pressure sensor. Good grief. I'll just, when I get out, I'll look at the tire. But anyway, so there's lights, Ryan. There's lights that are on. And so recently... Last winter, when I started the season, I pushed the two-wheel to four-wheel drive button, and it didn't kick in. And instead, the little light goes, oh, brother, um, oh, I know I'll hit the brakes. I know I'll go faster. I know I'll, I'll try this. I'll turn left. I'll turn right. And, and it doesn't kick in. And then I hit it again and it won't stop flashing. Mah, mah, mah. It doesn't buzz, but it does in my head. It buzzes in my head. And um, so then I shut it off and then I turn it back on and then it goes away and I say, oh, praise God, it's fixed. And um, how many of you know it's not fixed? But the, the light doesn't go on anymore. So now I'm not getting the warning system. So now I've got three lights over here on, ABS and all the skid slip and, and turn things. And they're, they're just on. And I'm going, well, you know, it drives okay. It's not, it's not, it's not the engine light. So, and now I can see a lot of stuff because it's dark, and those are lighting the dash up really good. So, so I'm ignoring that. 
But then this, this fall, I hit the two to four, and it's doing that. I said, okay, that's enough. And so I take it in, and I won't tell you what's going on with that. But that's the early warning system for stuff I've got to fix. When you're not at peace, I don't care if it's a little not at peace or a lot of not at peace, take a minute and ask God, why am I not at peace? It can be a lot of different things. The a whole list of things that aren't your fault. Maybe you're worrying about your kids or maybe it's fear about this or fear about that. But last time I looked in the word, he says, I don't want you to worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, give your thanksgiving to God, okay? I don't want you to be anxious about this. I, I want you to cast all your care upon me. And so that peace, that lack of peace is a warning system to tell you, press into me, walk in me. Now look, you need to take this seriously because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the world's gone crazy. Before, a Christian could kind of live in the world and live in, and trust God and whatever and everybody was still nice as neighbors and everybody was still this or that. It's nuts out there. It's crazy out there. You need to pay attention to that early warning system and check to see why those lights are flashing and why they're on. And take a little time, have a little talk with Jesus, tell him all about your troubles. He'll hear your faintest cry, he'll answer by and by. Hear a little prayer wheel turn and no little fire's burning. You'll find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I'm a rapper. I could, <laughs> I could put that to a beat. Goes along with my great sense of humor. Deb will check me on all of it and I won't get into trouble with it, I'm sure. So anyway, I've talked about the examples of, of, of the Old Testament situation and how that prophetic word was preparing them for something new. I've talked about Jesus walking in this world and, 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 and giving an example to us about what the power of peace is and the Prince of Peace walking among us in his love and the relationship. And then we've imagined and we've thought about our lives as we walk and wrestle and yield and surrender to him for the power of peace to take over in our life. But there's one more example of the power of the peacekeeper in scripture that is yet to come. And this is really powerful. Jesus will once again Keep the peace in a literal way. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, 
That is a peacekeeper, folks, I'm telling you right now. And unless you've thought about it a lot, and I've thought about it a little, I'm not going to get into an arm wrestling match with you over the book of Revelation and when, when what is going to happen when, but I know this, that there in Revelation 24, there's, there's going to be a time. It says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And I'm here to tell you that while they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, Jesus sits on a throne with a rod of iron. And you say, why does Jesus need a rod of iron? Because the minds and the lives and the individuals born during the millennial reign are not all going to be yielded to God, but they're all going to be obedient to God because Jesus is going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. And those who come back with him are going to know the thoughts of man, and they're going to rule and reign with him with a rod of iron. It's going to be an authority that no man can bend from and no man can turn from. And at the end of the thousand years, Jesus is going to back off a little bit and there's going to be released for a season a great rebellion. Who's going to follow in that rebellion? Those who were itching to rebel against Jesus the Lord who ruled with a rod of iron. And they're going to rebel and there's going to be one final rebellion and then the end of that monkey business will come and God will establish his throne and establish his heavenly kingdom and those who who serve in that kingdom those who live in that kingdom those who function in that realm in that kingdom will be transformed into obedient hearts to the king of kings and the lord of lords and there will be peace that will be established but whether it's a peace that's yielded to by your heart in this season and this time there's a power in peace and there's a power that maintains peace there's a power that that functions and rules that peace will happen and it happens in different ways in different times but we have a king and we have a lord and we have a savior who will establish that who will keep it in your heart as you develop, as you change, as you transform from glory to glory into that person who walks in greater and greater peace. How? Not by trying harder, not by doing it yourself, but by surrendering to him. John 14, 25 through 27 says this. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. What's he say next? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Would you stand to your feet? I want to ask you, Before we wrap up, before I pray a final prayer and dismiss you, I want to ask you, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I want to ask this question. I want to ask if there's anyone in this room, anyone who came in today, maybe you just wandered in today or maybe you're here visiting for the first time. Uh, Maybe you've been coming a little while, but you've never surrendered your life to the Prince of Peace. You've never, you've, never, you've never totally given yourself to him. You, you've been sitting and you've been listening and it makes sense and it sounds like a good rule to live by, but you've never said, I surrender. 
I give my life to you, God. I want you to work inside of me the way, the way this preacher is talking about. I want you to, to expose to me where I need to lay aside dead things and lay hold of live things. In other words, is there anyone in here where you've not prayed and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and accepted the, the payment of his blood on the cross for you so that your sins would be forgiven, so your conscience could be cleansed and so that you can walk hearing his voice. Just hold on just a second because I also want to ask with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask, is there anyone in this room who you have in times past lived and walked with the Lord, but the, 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 the stresses, the pressures of this life, your own decisions led you away from God. And today you want to recommit your life to him and say, I surrender. Not I'll try harder, not I'll do better, but Lord, I surrender to you. So either for the first time or to refresh your commitment to the Lord, just lift up your hand and say, pray for me, pastor. Pray for me, pastor. Yes, all over the place all over the place. My hands up to Lord. Now just pray this with me. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer, but let's just pray. Lord, I surrender to you. Lord, take my life, Father God. Lord, all those things where I've been trying, all those things where I've been working, all those things, Lord, my my dash light is, has been blinking, Lord, and I, I just surrender to you. And I incline my ear to your voice to hear you say, oh, son, oh, daughter, peace be still. It's no coincidence, Lord, that your word says the peace of God that passes understanding. And so, Lord God, for all of those things that we've asked questions about and we've wanted answers for, Lord, I lay that aside right now, Lord. I don't want an answer. I don't want to understand. I do. But I'll say that I don't right now because I'd prefer your peace. Lord, give me your peace that surpasses understanding, that will rule and that will guard in my heart by Christ Jesus. Almighty God, you show us the power of peace in our life every day. And so we surrender to you to walk under your cloak, under your grace, under your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you say amen? amen? Peace be with you. This has been a message from Destiny Church in Springfield, Illinois. To learn more about our ministry, visit the episode description where you can find links to our website, ways to give, and more about who we are. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.